1: Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, January 4th and what is our first podcast of the new year. On episode 279 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll discuss recent men's basketball woes, a thrilling victory for the women's side against UNC, and a little football in the grand scheme of things with the conclusion of bowl season earlier this week. All that and more coming up on episode 279 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. (laughs) We welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. First Bank and Trust Company is giving away 10 Tech Sideline subscriptions now through the end of February. Click on their ads anywhere on Tech Sideline to enter or visit wwwfirstbankcom TSL dash pass dash giveaway for your chance to win. One winner will be selected each week for the next 10 weeks. See the link, which we have dropped in the YouTube description for details, rules, and conditions. Are we going to be announcing that on the podcast, the winner of those each week, or how is you know, that going to work? You know, we should, yes. Okay, um, well, that's the link yeah. to look forward to.
0: So a couple of things I want to throw in there. Uh, we've also got a couple of new sponsors we haven't really promoted on the podcast yet, and that's uh The Hokey Way, and our last podcast was actually all about The Hokey Way, and that was pretty fantastic. They set a goal of raising $200,000 in the month of December and matching it. Uh, and, and, and they had a matching donor for that. And they eventually raised that by like the 27th or 28th of December and added another 100k. Now I haven't asked the Hokie Way what their final haul was, but they brought in at least400,000 total in the month of December. And uh, I'm thinking probably another 50 at least just over those few days because the response to uh, the last podcast we did, did was with Jim Patrine of the Hokie Way. And so if you haven't uh, watched it or listened to it, go ahead and check it out on YouTube and on, on wherever you get your audio podcast. So we've got the Hokie Way on as a sponsor all year long. So that's very cool. And uh, we're also partnering now with Triumph NIL and Triumph, we're going to start putting some of their branding around the set and promoting them during the podcast. And Triumph is the presenting sponsor of TSL Today, which is the smaller student run podcast that we do two or three times a week. So uh, we're glad to have them on board. And uh, that's that's the pitch. And I think the first bank and trust giveaway is really cool. It's funny because the ads, they sent me say 10 free subs. And I'm like, we're not giving away submarine sandwiches. <laughs> we're giving away subscriptions. Yeah. So let's be clear about that when you see the ads on the site. Because I don't want to get emails saying, uh, where's where, my where, substation where are gift the cards? subs from? Where, are they from my Substation too, or what? So. <laughs> anyway, thanks.
1: Well, that's awesome. Significant strides being made in the NIL, NIL collective community within Virginia Tech. So that's awesome to see. Before we get into it, I'll introduce the crew. for today. On set, we have Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. To my right, David Cunningham, managing editor of Tech Sideline. Across the way, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. In the fourth chair, Carter Hill, producing behind the scenes. And I'm your host, Katie Adams. First podcast of 2023, and unfortunately, we did not end the 2022 year. On a high note, for men's basketball, Hokies falling in the final two games of 2022. Tonight, they have a chance to get back on track against Clemson, a late one in Castle Coliseum tonight, 9 p.m. tip. What are your thoughts on these late games? Can we get an espresso (laughs) flavor of the Dairy Club milkshakes? I think we need to do something about
2: that. Well, I will say, like, these games always, especially if Tech loses, it's always, it makes it even worse because Mike Young is even more frustrated because he's got to come in and do media at like 1130 at night and Mike Mm -hmm. wants to be in bed. And I agree with that. Um, Nothing we can really do about it though. I do. I don't know. I, I don't think it's expected to be like a big crowd. The students aren't here. Tickets are going for cheap. What I saw. So um, I don't know. Hopefully it's going to be a good turnout, but it stinks that it's going to be such a late game.
3: Yeah. It's one of those games where Clemson's a good team, but the name Clemson doesn't exactly resonate in Tech fans' minds when it comes to good basketball, right? So it doesn't seem like it's going to be a great crowd, yet it's a good team. Yeah. It's it's a better team than that Carolina team that Virginia Tech beat and sold out Castle for, right? Uh, so dangerous game, particularly with since you know we don't even know if Hunter Couture is going to play. And Clemson's unbeaten in the ACC, and not only are they, are they unbeaten in the ACC – I mean, the three wins were blowouts.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, the men's team has played two games since we last talked. One thing I can take away from that game against Boston College is that I never want to play another sport in Chestnut Hill ever again. We sat here on the set two weeks ago and talked about how badly we wanted to win against Boston College and ended up being a really disappointing loss in overtime.
3: Uh, Virginia Tech has not, never won a basketball game that Will and I have watched together at PKs. <laughs> and I, actually, I think – over the last couple of years, Tech hasn't won a basketball basketball game at all in which we've watched together at a Blacksburg bar.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. We've
3: won a bunch that we've watched together in Castle Coliseum. Yeah, but whenever we get together and watch a game on TV, not nah, it's over. So we need, we we got to stop doing that.
0: So there's a there's an article in my head, and the title of it is something like Virginia Tech has a BC problem, you know, and and it's it's apparently a apparently a wake problem too. It's like a rundown of all of the nasty football and basketball losses that Virginia Tech has suffered to Boston College, particularly. Now there's some in Lane that that we really don't want to talk about, but yeah. particularly up in Chestnut Hill. It's even just, it's even it's when Tech
3: has won up there, like in football, for example, like you remember the '98 game? Yeah, oh yeah, it was pouring down rain. I mean, it was like a monsoon in there, like enough rain where you'd be like, man, this was a hurricane if it wasn't, you know, in Boston. And uh, it ended up being like 17 to nothing.
0: Yep. Right? And and the 1994 game was another just tooth puller, even though Tech did win it. It was 14 to 6 or something ridiculous like that.
3: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so uh, it's just not many great memories up there.
0: No. Yeah. Well, Although there are
2: a few. Yeah, uh, well... 1996 <coughs> was fun. As far as playing basketball goes... Like, they've got a hot, you know, it's a hockey rink as well as a basketball Mm. arena. And it's funny. um, I was talking to Evan Hughes about it because he went up there when the women played um, up there in in early December. And he said, literally, as soon as the basketball game ends, they start taking, like, the court off. Mm. And then they clear the ice and they bring out the Zamboni and everything. You're playing in the cold arena in the middle of nowhere, empty, barely anybody there. You got to bring your own energy and tech just struggles there. Tech, I mean, that Boston College is a one team Mike Young has never beaten at Virginia Tech. And Mike Young has an ACC tournament championship. Have
3: y'all ever been on a court? That's a basketball arena and an ice hockey. I have arena. a
2: PNC Arena. I have no. This
3: was when I was a kid, and I'm sure the technology's different now. But when I was like nine or ten, my parents took me to a WCW wrestling event in the Greensboro <laughs> Coliseum, and and they and they had uh and they played hockey. I don't know if they still play hockey in Greensboro or not, but they did then. I remember they had. Uh, I don't. I don't know how to describe it. I wouldn't describe it as boards, but like the ice was covered up. But there was enough holes and whatever they were using to cover it up, where you could feel the coldness wow. coming up yeah. and everything. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, like I think I think I remember I I wore a jacket in there. It was cold enough to wear a jacket indoors. Wow. Uh, so uh, it's kind of a weird feeling to be in one of those buildings.
2: Yeah, and and Tech just I mean it was another game where Tech just didn't really ever get into rhythm. It it was a it seemed like it was sloppy 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 all over the place a ton of turnovers which is something i'm sure we'll talk more about later um that was kind of the theme against wake forest and you know if you're turning the ball over if you're not getting into rhythm you know obviously hunter couture came down with an injury and missed you know a chunk of the later portion of the game but you know tech was leading tech led all the way up to halftime and then boston college you know kind of pulled back tied it up got the lead and then boston college had the momentum for the second half and then you know tech needed a a big 3 to send it to overtime late and then you know couldn't close it out and tech uh, did take a lead late took uh, took a lead and then boston college scored yeah. to 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 send it to overtime and but it just you know, that's a game you don't want to go to overtime just because Tech didn't really have any of the momentum mm-hmm. in that late stage, and Tech just struggles up there, and that's not a great—that's a Boston College team that's also like Tarleton State in New Hampshire this year, oh but not, not, not a good Boston <laughs> College team. Now, they did have injuries all, you know, all through its first 12 games, but— this is not a this is a Boston College team that might finish 10th in the ACC and, and this is a Virginia Tech team that should be contending for 4th or 5th you would think and has not played up to that point so far this year.
3: Yeah. Uh I just wish Boston College would just be the
0: cannon fodder that they're intended to be. No, that's why they're here. <laughs> yeah, I that, wish that, that
1: they would be removed from the ACC.
0: But, <laughs> well. Good luck with that um <laughs> Um, that said, Boston College beat Notre Dame last night. Not they that did. Notre yeah. Dame's yeah, great, but BC's yeah. two and two in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. and Notre Dame's zero and four I yeah. think, <laughs> in the ACC. Which and they, and they What's went to the weird, NCAA... Notre Dame's better than that.
2: Notre Dame right. and you know who's four zero, oh? Pitt. Pitt Who beat
0: Virginia yesterday. Um, yes, Miami's up at the top, and Clemson is also three. 0 yeah. Oh. yeah. So, so it's, it's weird to look at the top Pitt, of the Pitt ACC. is four.
2: Pitt. I, I would at the beginning of the year, I would not have put my money on Pitt being 4-0 and Notre Dame being 0-4. No,
3: now, Notre Dame was another one of those. They were kind of sort of like us. They played their best basketball at the end of the season. Yeah. If you recall, like, you know, yes, Tech beat them in the ACC tournament, but Tech beat them in the regular season too. Tech beat them early in the ACC schedule when, when the Hokies were playing poor bat.
2: You that know, was the win more. that got Tech on the right uh, track, sort of.
3: Yeah, they, like they won a couple in a row, then they lost a couple more, and then – Finally, they beat Florida State and won a whole bunch in a row. Uh, But, yeah, it took Notre Dame a while to get rolling last year, too. But it is surprising that they're struggling this much because they brought back a number of good players. Yeah,
1: fourth straight loss to BC. Like you said, Mike Young has never beat the Eagles. I was looking at the schedule. There is a chance for redemption when Boston College comes to Castle Coliseum February 8th. That's a big one in my eyes, to say the least. Please win that game. (laughs) At this point, there's been similar factors in mostly all the losses, one being a high turnover rate having someone on the opposing team go off against BC, it was Ashton Langford against Wake Forest. It was Tyree Appleby, which leads me into that game on New Year's Eve. First off, Will David, you were there. Carter was there calling the game as well. What's the rating on an experience at a game in Winston-Salem? I know there was a lot of Hokies there.
2: It was fine. It was, I tell you what, so I was at the the game in the 2019-20 season uh, in Winston-Salem. And that place was empty. Danny Manning was still the Lake Forest coach. It was Mike Young's first season. Uh, Tech comes out and and beats Wake by like 15, 20 points. Uh and they were pumping in crowd noise because mm-hmm. like like it was loud, but only because they were using the speakers. There was nobody there. There was actually a pretty good crowd there. I was I was pleasantly surprised. C. Forbes is a really good coach and he's Kind of given that program some life. Obviously, he was at ACC Coach of the Year last year. They had the ACC Player of the Year in Alondas Williams. They didn't make the tournament, but um, but Steve Forbes continues to find good guards too. You know, from the transfer portal, Tyree Appleby's is another example of that. And you know, I I thought the experience was good. The atmosphere was good. Um, there were a good number of Virginia Tech fans there. Um, but that that's another game. Tech obviously didn't have Hunter Kator. Um, turned the ball over way too much. Played good defense, but couldn't really rebound the ball and um, stop
0: Wake Forest on the offensive glass. And, you know, just came down to the wire again, and Wake Forest kind of powered through. So I I would recommend to Virginia Tech fans, if you've never been to – if you're in range and you've never been to a game at Wake Forest, football or basketball, go. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've been to one football game way back in the day. I think 2006, Chris and I went to one. It was 2004. Wow. So a long time ago. And I've been to two basketball games since then. And the one impression I come away with is the parking is so easy. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of parking and there are Coliseum seats, something like 14,400. Right, David. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. And the two times I've been there have not been many people there. Um, now, granted, this was over Christmas break and all that stuff. I but there are a lot of tech fans there. There were probably 30 to 35 percent of the arena was Virginia Tech fans. Um, it's easy to get to. The concessions are good. There's plenty of places to sit in there. The, the video board's good, all that kind of stuff. And, and I did get to meet uh, uh, Danny Joe Hurl's father. Um, she was off in the restroom or something like that. And he and I talked for a few <laughs> minutes before before I had to take off. So you never know who you'll encounter if you go to Wake Forest.
1: I've been to a game there once. It was ironically for a Florida State Wake basketball game. I don't know why I was there.
3: <laughs> I went to a game. It was the Ish Smith shot. when oh Jeff Allen and Malcolm Delaney are, were freshmen. And A.D. Visayo took the Sean Padula three-pointer early in the shot clock, except right. his didn't go in, and it ended up maybe cost – it gave Wake Forest extra time, and they hit the last second shot to win the game. Uh haven't been back since. I'm one of those that, like, I, if I have a frustrating experience somewhere, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to go back.
0: Nah. Yeah.
2: I don't blame you.
1: The concessions are good. They do have barbecue parfaits, which is my favorite oh, food definitely. in the whole world. <laughs> Maybe I'm worried about the wrong things, but that really made my trip when I went to a game there. Hokies fall and this one's 77 to 75. Same score as when we lost to College of Charleston. There were so many points where I thought that we were out of this game and they kind of just kept coming back. I was like, all right, let's just turn on the Sugar Bowl. This isn't even a game anymore. <laughs> Ultimately, in the end, though, it wasn't enough.
2: Yeah, but I I was, you know, you're playing without Hunter Couture on the road. Tech is 0-3 on the road. You know, that's lost loss at College of Charleston, lost at Boston College, lost at Wake Forest. There were points where I thought, tech was just going to give up and it was going to get out of hand Mm -hmm. and tech never did that. And I think that's the sign of a team that has a lot of potential that is, you know, sticking together. And I think that's good. Um, You know, Tech's one and two in the ACC, but by no means, you know, does that mean the season's over or anything? Um, There's still a lot of basketball left to be played, but I was, I was surprised by how time and time again, tech fought back in that game. And, Played through a lot of foul trouble, too. Justin Mutz and Sean Bedula both had four fouls by the eight-minute mark in the second half, and they played the final eight minutes, essentially, both on four fouls. Tech had four guys finished with four fouls. Mike Young used part of his bench. John Camden played for the first time in a big game this year, and I thought he was okay. I thought there were some bright signs. Obviously, you want to get that win on the road. Mike Young says it's tough to win on the road, and it is. Um you know, that's one you would like to have. Forest is a better team than Boston College, obviously. Um, just frustrating, but I do think there's some promise, especially since Tech didn't have Hunter Couture. If you can get Couture back, um, then you go on the road. I mean, Tech's next four games are Clemson, which is a quadrant two game, NC State, which is a quadrant two game. That's today, Wednesday, and Saturday. The following Wednesday, you go up to Syracuse, and then you got Virginia on the road. So. It, it's not going to get any easier You've got to win these next two you've got to you've got to you've got to win some games at home when you have the opportunity and then that's like that Syracuse game on the road in the carrier dome it's winnable it's a winnable game Syracuse is Syracuse took Louisville down to the wire and Louisville <laughs> is not a good team so yeah. there are some winnable games but you got to make the most of the opportunities when you have them
3: yeah uh I wasn't disappointed. The tech. Oh, well, I was disappointed. The tech lost awake, but I didn't leave saying, "Oh man, that was a bad performance." That was the type of performance I expected without Hunter Couture. Yeah. And I, I think like t- Mike Young, I think thought he was gonna, Couture was going to play because you remember, uh, God, who was it that tweeted before the game? John, John Rothstein. Rothstein. Rothstein said Couture is going to be available. Yeah. Per and Mike I'm, Young, and I'm pretty sure Rothstein probably gets it straight no yeah mike. he's yeah. up from mike young he loves mike young every time tech wins a game he puts out the mike young tweet so uh, which is a sign that you know he's got a good relationship with young so i think mike young expected couture to play that morning and then maybe it just was too sore on him and shoot around or something like that and because look man you got to be able to catch the ball yeah. right and those those passes are thrown at you hard and you know if it's as Forearm, I guess. I think it's his elbow. Elbow, uh, Yeah, I mean, that could, that could cause a lot of pain to shoot up your yeah. arm and everything uh, when when you're catching balls like that. So uh, I, losing Couture puts everybody else in a different role. Um, this past game, Mike Young elected to go big and play Mutz at the three. I don't think it's ideal, especially... It's I, not I,
2: ideal in the system that Tech runs. I, I,
3: yeah, I don't think the ball moves as well when, when there's only two guards yeah. a, on the court. But... You know, whatever. The point is, it puts everybody in a different role. It puts Mutz at the three. It's more Basili at the four. It's uh, John Camden on the court because he hasn't played very much at all. Yeah. And, you know, still a lot of of minutes for M.J. Collins. So it's just a lot of guys playing different roles, and Tech is nowhere close to the same defensive team as they are without Couture. That's for sure. I mean, Appleby just went off on Tech, and that's the guy Couture would have been guarding. So I'm not I, I'm disappointed. I, I, that the game was like close and Tech didn't win. Yeah, but from the because st- if you
2: know if you have Hunter Couture, you can, that's a game certainly a game you, you likely winning. Yeah,
3: probably. Um, just all things else being equal, um, it was the guy c- that Couture would have been guarding that yeah. went off, and hardly anybody ever goes off on Hunter Couture. So uh, it's it's frustrating because it would have been a road win. Yeah. Um, it would have been a, a would have quad been a quadrant win.
2: two. It would have been a quadrant two it, it will, win. and and wake
3: and, for- and wake. Good chance eventually will become a quadrant one yeah. win So they're playing pretty good
2: ball. Yeah, uh, just probably about ten spots off of a quadrant yeah. one, quadrant one right now. Yeah, I think I think it's frustrating because, um, you have Honor Couture and I think Tech wins that game. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it kind of puts more stress on everybody else. I think it puts more stress on a guy like Sean Padua. There were. Especially when Padula picked up multiple fouls, there was a stretch where Justin Mutz was bringing the ball up the floor. Right, and, and you know people are going to ask, what hap- You know, what about Rodney Rice? And I figure we should just address it. Rodney Rice was expected to be back. Mike Young said originally he hoped Rodney Rice would be back on December 31st against Wake Forest. He's still a game time decision for today's game. He dressed out against Wake. And he dressed for the first time all season against Wake. So he's close. Clearly, Mike Young isn't comfortable playing him, or he's not fully healthy. It's one of those two things. Or he he didn't want to play his first game on the road. On the road. Right. Yes. Whatever the situation is, you got to trust Mike Young's judgment and, and the trainers and whatnot. But because. No Couture because no Rice. It's essentially a, a three-man backcourt. Then they played John Camden a little bit more minutes, mm-hmm. but Padula is the only guy that can really handle the ball, and and so I think that put a lot more stress on Padula. And when you are when when you have a, a an offensive system where it is essentially sur- you know s- supposed to be. Three guards on the floor, and, and then a little bit of a big, two you know, two big guys. Where Mutz, he he has that versatility to kind of play the three, four, five. Well, when you're playing the guy at the that's supposed to be at the four at the three, it kind of shrinks what you can do offensively. And then you already mentioned what kind of couture brings defensively, and tech kind of got exposed in that area. You're asking John Camden, who's essentially a true freshman. You know, he missed his true freshman year. He's a redshirt freshman. That's right. He was injured. With he was an injury. A real redshirt. So he's essentially a true freshman. You're expecting him and MJ Collins and, you know, a guy like Malajal Poteet and Lynn Kidd. I mean, Tex bench played like 50 or 60 or close to 70 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's tough when they're, they're – a lot of those guys are, are solid players, but you can't expect them to play that much.
3: Well, everybody's thrust into a different role.
2: Correct. And, and so I think offensively kind of shrinks – What tech's able to do. Darius Maddox is still in a slump. So essentially, it's, you know, it's Sean Padua, Darius Maddox, who's in a slump, and then three big guys. And that kind of limits what tech can do from the outside, I think. And you kind of saw that tech hasn't really shot the ball well from three all year, but it kind of minimizes it even more. And, And so, Getting Couture back, maybe Couture. You could say Couture is maybe the most important player on this team.
3: I, I think. I think there's three guys on the team that if you take them away, it takes away something unique that can't be replicated. I agree. Padula, Mutz, and Couture. Like, there's no like-for-like replacement for any of those guys. Yeah. Um, you could lose anybody else and get away with it, and and go out there and put a very similar team on the court. Yeah. Uh, you can't. A lot of things change if you lose any one of those three guys.
1: No Hunter Couture in this game, no Rodney Rice in this one either. They seem to be taking his recovery very cautiously and not rushing anything. On the other hand, this seems to be the only game that we are going to be without Hunter Couture, which is good news in the sense that that very could have well been the difference. If he played, then we would have won that game. On the adjustments to Couture's absence, I know you kind of got into it a little bit, but what did you think of when Kidd's performance specifically and those guys off the bench with Collins, Camden, and Poteet?
2: I thought Poteet and and Kidd were good, and I thought Collins was fine. I, I think... I think you know Couture is the only guy from Mike Young's first recruiting class and first team still still here. He's he's the veteran, and Justin Mutz obviously is also a veteran. But they're the only you know they're the guys where Mike Young says I never want to play a game without mm-hmm. him. I I I always want Couture and Mutz on the floor. And when you have to go without one of your most important players, it's tough. I thought the the other guys were fun. Um, you know I, I think. Obviously, Padula and Mutz carried the scoring. They scored 18 each, but they were both dealing with foul trouble. And when you throw foul trouble into that mix, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, I thought Poteet and Kidd, um, I think Kidd had like seven or eight rebounds. Um, I, I thought at the end it came down to, you know, Virginia Tech had a hard time stopping Tyree Appleby and then couldn't really stop Wake Forest on the offensive glass. Andrew Carr and Wake Forest had like eight possessions in the final two, three minutes, and had four offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. And Tech's got to get get better on the glass. Again, Couture's your best rebounding guard. Agreed, so. yeah. And, and so a lot of those were just simple tip-outs, like uh, Wake Forest big six ten seven 7-foot guys going up and, and tipping the ball back out. And, and so I think it was an okay performance, I think, in the sense of, you know, you basically need them to kind of help step up because you're losing one of your most important players. It, it's tough for them to to kind of combine to replace what what you're losing. All things considered, it's like you said earlier, kind of the performance you would expect with no Couture.
3: I I, uh, I thought Virginia Tech. There's a, there's enough offense on this team to withstand the loss of Couture, and they scored 75 points. That's enough points to win a basketball game. But it really affects you defensively. It really affects Virginia Tech defensively. And uh, it's funny how certain certain, in games like that, certain plays stand out to me. And the three that stand out to me were all three fouls. And that was a closely called game. There was a lot of fouls called on both teams, which is fine. As long as it's called both ways, I don't care. You just have to adjust to it as a player. Sean fourth foul was 80 feet from the basket and gave them free throws. And then there were two other fouls where, you know, Virginia Tech was really pressuring them hard in the half court, and they pushed them back towards the Wake Forest bench, and they pushed them back towards half court. And there was like seven or eight seconds left on the shot clock each time, and Wake's got the ball 35 or 40 feet from the basket, and you just foul him. You, you give I, I think one of
2: those was Mutz.
3: and one, yeah, and I think one was I don't remember who the other one was on, but uh, but yeah, like that's probably the thing that bothered me the most is, is we did not adjust. The Padula foul was frustrate uh, was a foul born of frustration, but the other two was just like not adjusting to how the refs are calling, calling the game, the game yeah. right? And Tex a very Texan experience, and it was experienced players too, so that that's probably the most disappointing part to me, like. Even with with the issues defensively, like if you just you just play a little bit smarter, then uh, then you could have had that win. But oh well, you know that's life without Couture. You're never gonna play a perfect game, uh, as far as making all the right basketball plays. Uh, but when you're when you lose a guy like Couture, it just uh it magnifies it magnifies your mistakes. Yeah.
1: Well, based on these two games, what are your biggest concerns about this team moving forward? Maybe it's the inability to be consistent down the stretch or maybe just winning on the road.
3: Uh, You know, it's it's a good point about on the road. I mean, Tech has three losses. They're all on the road. They haven't won a road game, no, a, no. a true road game yet. Uh, now they, they could have won that one with Couture, so maybe it's it's not going to turn out to be a huge concern. I think my, my biggest concern is, is is odd to say, but uh, – like outside shooting like Darius Maddox is not the Darius Maddox of last season uh last season he shot 50 percent from three-point range what is he at this year 27
2: not good yeah.
3: yeah so what is he is he a 50 percent three-point shooter or is he a 27 th- percent I mean I mean that's that's just a massive difference from one year to the next I, I mean I doubt he's a a 50% three point shooter, but I, I don't think he's a 27% three point shooter either. So you got to get him going. And uh, because right now, like generally speaking, what you would have expected at the beginning of the season, you've got your starting lineup of Padula, uh, Maddox, Couture, Mutz, and Basile. Any five of those guys is capable of scoring in double figures every night. Well, the way Maddox is playing, you can't really say that. You, with the way he's shooting yeah. the ball, you can't really say that. So then you take off Couture and combine that with with Maddox not being able to to shoot the ball, and it this puts year. the pressure on, th- on three guys. Right, right. And,
2: and Mutz and Padula, yeah. And I think Mutz and Padula they've scored the ball in double figures. I mean, Padula scored double digits every game, right? Which tells you how much weight he's carrying. I think I think Bazili is still. <sighs> I think Mike's still trying to figure out his role defensively. I, I think yeah. <laughs> he hasn't been great defensively. My biggest concern for Virginia Tech is the turnovers, and I wrote about it in my, in my preview for the Clemson game tonight, which you can find at Tech Sideline. Um, Techs turned the ball over 51 times in the last four games. That's that accounts for 37 of Tech's turnovers for the
0: entire year. Mm-hmm. And thirty-seven percent. You left out the word percent. What did I say? Thir- thirty-seven. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh sorry.
2: Thirty-seven percent. Yes, of Tech's uh, One hundred and thirty-seven total turnovers. So, you know that, that's a, that's twenty-nine percent of the games. Justin Mutz and Sean Padula have combined for twenty-seven turnovers in the last four games. Right. That you know that, that they have turned the ball over. 16 of Mutz's 39 turnovers have come in the last four games. That's 41%. 11 of Padula's 25 have come in the last four games. That's 44%. Obviously, guys like MJ Collins, Lynn Kidd, Mollajal botite are played a little bit more extended minutes. Those guys have you know over 45% of their turnovers for the season coming in the last four games. So, it's not just one player, it's everybody. And I'm curious to see what happens when you're back at home tonight for the first time all year. You're not playing two games on the road. You're not playing Oklahoma and Grambling State teams. You know, they were both physical. You are playing a physical Clemson team. But this is a game where I'm looking to see if Virginia Tech can settle down and run its offense. We haven't seen it. You know, I, I don't know if there's been. Like I think, I think if you're an opposing team, you're what? Do you, one of the things you're trying to do is just take Tech out of rhythm, where you're you're making Tech, you know, whether you're pressing or you know, you're taking away an aspect where where Tech cannot really run offense. And I think all four opponents have done that really well in the last four games: Grambling State, Oklahoma State, uh, both those were really, really, really physical games. And then Boston College on the road, Tech never really felt like it got into rhythm. And then Wake Forest. Without Kator, it's a little bit more understandable. I am so surprised that a team under Mike Young that is so efficient has turned the ball over as many time, you know, as many times as as it is. This Tech team is still top ten in turnover percentage in the country because of what it did in the first ten games of the year. Can you get back to that? Sean Padula is not a guy to have double digit turnovers. You know, he's not a guy.
3: Over the course of
2: of the course yeah. of four games, he's a guy who might have five turnovers over four games. There's so much stress being put on Tech right now, and I think it'll help if Tech gets Couture back. But I'm curious to see if Tech can just settle down and run some offense when Sean Padula comes down at the end of a half. Can you run an, Can you run an offensive set? Instead of Sean Bedula just chuck, and I understand he has a green light, but instead of Sean Bedula chucking up a three at at the very end of the clock,
3: he he still hasn't found even in that even in other situations besides at the end of the half. Yes, he still hasn't found the happy medium between balancing the creative freedom given to him and actual actually running the offense.
0: So let's uh, drill down in that a little bit. You you were talking about turnovers. You were talking about outside shooting. Hmm. And looking specifically at Padula's numbers, he was one of nine from outside against Wake Forest. So for the season, he is 26 of 77, which is 33.8%. Last year, he was 34 of 76, 44 and something percent. So at this point this year, compared to last year, basically the same number of shots. But last year at this point, he had made eight more three-pointers. How would you like to have to to eight three-pointers to randomly distribute amongst yeah. the games they've played this year? Mm-hmm. If he just goes three of nine, everything else being equal, they beat Wake
2: Forest. If you take four threes, that's enough to win. You can be, text, be undefeated.
3: Text, yeah, right. and, and, and you talk about turnovers. Some of his shooting percentage comes down to he's shooting too early in the shot clock yeah. without running the offense. I think I've screamed at the TV the last two games, Run the offense more the last two games than I've ever done under Mike Young. Yeah. And, and the, which yeah. sounds, they did score 75 points against Wake, which makes it sound funny to say. But like every Virginia Tech is an efficient basketball team. Even when they're not playing so great, they're still more efficient than, than most other teams. So every three pointer he jacks up with 22 seconds on the shot clock, when it's not even a great shot, to me, that's like a turnover. The shot is unlikely to go in because it's a bad shot, and you're just depriving yourself of a better shot later in the shot clock. And then you're putting more pressure on yourself defensively, which you can't afford to do, especially with Couture out. So uh, he's he's got, again, like like he's been a great player for Tech this year, but that's the one thing he can improve on to to take that step from being really good to like elite, is to understand, find the balance between the creative freedom given him and playing
0: within the offense. Right now he's hasn't quite found that balance i think you're right and, and to go back to what you said earlier he's he's still trying to figure it out mm-hmm. you know uh when he finally got significant play in time about halfway through last year you know his role was pretty simple and so you can see all the tools in the toolbox sure. as they say he's got a good three-point shot he is so good going to the basket there's so much he can do but but to your other point um, it's funny because i was sitting with clark Rulin at a recent game and i said you know One thing about, this is probably about two or three weeks ago, I said one thing about Virginia Tech basketball is it doesn't make me angry to watch them play. They don't make every shot, they don't win every game, but I like the way they play. You're right, they're not moving the ball like they used to. So I think you're watching in Sean Padula a process of trying to figure everything out. And hopefully he will figure it out fairly soon. Hopefully tonight. You know, yeah. tonight would be great. Uh, I don't hate losing to Clemson as much as I hate losing to Boston College, but I don't like losing don't, to Clemson. I don't want to lose to them at home and start one and three. Yeah. I, and, and and then they got a game against NC State. Then they got three on the road. And right. this could wind up like last year where it gets nasty. Right. Yeah. Ten games into the ACC. Yeah. I, I
2: think – and I, I don't think the Wake Forest game not having Couture helps. But, you know, it can't it, it can it – it only can hurt Padua, right? Feels like he has to do more. Yeah. And, and I, I think – and I don't think it's just on him, by the way. I mean the fact that that Mutz has, you know, sixteen turnovers in the line, I mean that's four turnovers a game. And surprising, that's Mutz, man. <laughs> I, I know it is. But but when, you know, when the th- there are three guys for Virginia Tech that have more than ten turnovers this year, and it's Mutz, Padula, and Basili. Mutz has sixteen turnovers in the last four games. Padula has eleven. Basili is five. Yeah. And so he's actually cut down. He's actually cut down on his turnovers in all three of Tech's losses. The other team forced Tech to push the pace. Clemson is not a team that will make Tech push the pace, but Tech will face it again later this year. But when you push the pace against Virginia Tech, you know, usually, and I think, and I think to Storm Murphy's credit, one of the things he was very good at doing was settling Virginia Tech down. When Tech, you know, kind of got anxious, he, he wasn't very good at speeding Tech up. Mm-hmm. I don't think <laughs> Sean Padula is much better at that. I think Dayton is not a good example where Dayton was pressing and and it he more Storm wanted to play slow. Padula, I think, would have excelled in that. But I think where where Storm was so good was in times where you just need to settle down and run a couple offensive sets back to back to back possessions. Right. He can do it, and he can settle the guys down, and he can make sure. And I don't think, you know, Sean's a sophomore, and I don't think, I think that kind of comes with learning the offense. And I think in all three Tech's losses, there were times where Tech went like, Tech had four straight Possessions with a turnover against Wake Forest that is not like a Mike Young team yeah. and that's that's where you need a the point guard or you need the veterans whether it's Justin a to just settle everybody down and run the offense. This is an offense that is going to get you looks if you do your job, you know, if you run your offensive sets you are going to get opportunities and I think so many times in the losses this year it's everything's just gotten away and tech's gotten too caught up in the moment. And if you, if you have some guys that can just settle you down and say, all right, let's get back to what we know we are good at. Tech's going to get good opportunities. Tech's going to get good looks, but I think too much. It's looked like street ball. It's looked like guys out there playing pickup. And, and Mike Young said it about the college of Charleston game, Um, you know, where, he said a couple of times this season where it just looks like, you know, the guys are we're rolling a ball out and guys are just
0: going and playing pickup and they're not running mm. offensive
3: It looks like he's watching a July scrimmage. Yes.
0: So, so I think part of what you're seeing is the the personality difference in Storm Murphy, particularly the first half of Storm Murphy last year yeah. and Sean Padula. I think Murphy Storm lacked in the first half of the season, the confidence to really force the issue Sean Padula does not lack for confidence. It is his personality. It's his makeup. And eventually, as he becomes a junior and a senior, he's really going to take off. I mean, I think he's a good ball player now. He's trying to figure things out. He's a guy that, when he as a junior and a senior, you're going to be going, wow, that guy is really good. Um, sometimes he's just got to figure out that sometimes doing less is more. There, There will be a story two years from now where he will tell you, Uh, how he learned to settle down Mm -hmm. into the offense Mm -hmm. that story will be written right
1: so the game tonight not necessarily a must win but it's a must win I remember how frustrating that loss was to Clemson at the end of the regular season last year and you follow it up a week later with the shot heard around the world by Darius Max against (laughs) them in the ACC tournament he has yet to be the it factor in a game this year how fitting would it be for him to gain back that confidence tonight I hope we see it
3: would be very fitting like this is a weird game like I wouldn't have said this before the season started, but Clemson comes into this game with a three point advantage over Virginia Tech. They've got two really good shooters. They got three really good three, shooters. Three, yeah, you're right. So Clemson is always this tough, even going back to like the Oliver Purnell days. Yeah. They're always this tough, scrappy, physical minded team, but they're never never seem to be particularly skilled when it comes to uh just shooting, shooting the jump shot basically. They've got a lot more skill now, I think, when it comes to shooting. And Maddox, is, like you said, is in a slump. Um, Padula's shot selection is driving his three-point shooting down. So this is a game where the trends are going in Clemson's favor as far as shooting the basketball. So yeah, it's very important that the Hokies get back to running their offense.
2: There, There are three guys on the Clemson team that if they played for Virginia Tech, they would lead Virginia Tech in three-point shooting. Mm-hmm which kind of just puts it into perspective. The tech's got two
0: guys over 40%, or, so you're, you're telling right me 40. that. Wow.
2: Yeah, so uh, t- I, as I wrote in my in my preview, <clears throat> Clemson has two guys. So Tech, tech has faced, uh, earlier all, uh, already this season, Tech has faced four guys that are top 100 three-point shooters in the country. It was Talon Cooper from Minnesota. Tech held him to 25%, one of four. Chance Jenkins from Old Dominion, Tech held him to one of three, though he you know, did everything else. Um, Miles Dredd from Penn State, he was 5 of 11. He was right at his 45, 46% And he's mark. a
3: volume guy. Like at one point in that game, he was putting up brick after brick, and then he'll make like four yeah. in a row. He was 5
2: of 11. Yeah. Uh, and then Tyree Appleby, uh, who shoots about 45% and was 4 of 6. Mm. Chase Hunter and Alex Hemingway are both in the top. 100. They're both in the top 85 actually. Hemingway shoots 50% for Clemson. Chase Hunter shoots 46%. Hunter Tyson Texas, or sorry, Clemson's 6-8 guy shoots 44%. PJ Hall can shoot it too. This is a this is a Clemson team that that can shoot it I you know they've got th- they've got a, a good rotation. Um, they can shoot it and they're physical. Yes. normally they're just physical. Yeah, this is a, a Clemson team that is solid offensively. Tech's gonna need to score the ball today, like like efficiently. Um, defense isn't necessarily Clemson's specialty; it's more on the offensive side. But in both of the games last year, you know PJ Hall, who has not necessarily been Clemson's best player this year, and you know he's been. Hurt, hurt, hurt yeah. here and hurt there. He had a metatarsal injury. He'll peak at um, some point this year. Yeah, hopefully not tonight. <laughs> just not tonight. Yeah, <laughs> and Tech gets Clemson a little bit later in the year, but in both of the games last season, Clemson just out physical, out muscled Virginia Tech. Like that that regular season game at Clemson was ugly mm-hmm. because Clemson made it ugly. And then that you know Virginia Tech probably shouldn't have won that overtime game uh, in the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. Tech kind of got a miracle out of it. Darius Maddox had to hit a shot to win because Tech was down by two points. So this is a Clemson team that's coming in here. Going to be a really, really tough matchup. Probably, maybe you could say the best matchup at home Tech's had this year since North Carolina, you know, didn't have Armando Baycott at that time. Dayton wasn't good at that time. Dayton had injuries. Dayton was
3: two starters, missing two starters.
2: Dayton's kind of... Hitting, it, hitting its stride now. North Carolina's kind of found a little bit more of its stride now. I think this is a maybe Virginia Tech's best home game so far this year. Oh,
3: I would agree. Like, of all teams that have come into Castle so far, Clemson by far has the best chance to beat Virginia Tech. I mean, UNC without Baycott. Yeah. Um, I mean, Clemson's red hot. And like I said, uh, I forget the exact numbers. You wrote it in your preview. But, like, their three ACC wins have all been blowouts. Yeah. Like, they've just crushed teams. So they're, they're a very, very good team. They seem to be peaking right now. Yeah. So we'll They be beat
2: in. Wake Forest by 20, Yeah. Oh, Georgia Tech by 13, and NC State by 14. And, right. and and they're very, as I wrote, they're a very evenly distributed offense. Right. They, they shoot the three-ball well, they score the ball well from two-point range, and they also get to the free-throw line. And, yeah. th- and this is a Tech team who... Is basically only doing one of those three things right now, and that's shoot the two ball well.
3: Right, and w- of course we all know that the ACC is a league, is, is a league that will, or any Power Five team league is 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 a league that when you think things are going well, you're gonna get smacked in the face. Yeah. So like Clemson's due for a loss. <laughs> like right. Um. There's Pitt is four and oh. They were due for a loss too, and but they still beat UVA. Yeah. So it's kind of a. I don't know, we, we still have less than half a season of sample size. Or yeah, slightly under one yeah. And a half. So we'll see. I mean, there's only so much you can tell from non conference games when everybody plays a different schedule. So
0: let me jump in here and say Katie's only got about twenty five more minutes left with us. So oh. we, we need to hit the break yep. and then do <laughs> women's basketball and, and bowl game topic.
1: Yes, that's going to lead us into our break here on episode 279 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Talked a lot about men's hoops in the first half. And when we come back, we'll talk women's hoops and bowl season. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back into episode 279 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by First Bank and Trust and sponsored by Triumph NIL and the Hokie Way. As we continue to discuss basketball, we're going to flip it over to the women's side, who also started one and two in ACC play like the men before beating Carolina on New Year's Day. You'll take your wins over the heels, however you can get them. This was a fun one, though. Back and forth all day. Hokies win it in dominant fat or. with a dominant performance by George Amore, it wasn't a dominant fashion. It was a really close game.
2: Yeah, Georgia, Georgia Amore. It, it, uh, they did a cool thing before the game. Uh, Georgia's mom, well, obviously Georgia's Australian. Georgia's mom is in town, and they presented Georgia's mom on the court with the game ball from Georgia's triple double for program's first ever against Nebraska. So that was really cool. Georgia always plays well when her mom's in town too, uh, and she's been so good for Virginia Tech all year. And, and she really took over the game uh, in, in stretches. Um, you know, North Carolina is a, a top 15 team. I think they fell to 22nd in the rankings. But this was back and forth and back and forth. And, um, you know, Elizabeth Kitley, she wasn't a non-factor. But, but I think North Carolina kind of basically said, we're going to take her away and we'll make everybody else beat us. And Tech did that. Georgia Amore had a fantastic game. Deasia Gregg had a great game, too. Uh First or second ever career double double for Deasia Gregg. Somebody who was at Georgia Tech and then was at a JUCO school and now is at Virginia Tech and she's basically been a role player her entire career here. And you know she had 11 points and 10 rebounds and and had a couple key defensive plays. Had a block down the stretch um, on North Carolina's final inbound play when they were trying to get a shot off to tie the game or to score a basket to, to make it close. DeAsia Gregg tipped away the final inbound pass and the clock ran out.
0: And Wasn't she, she also the one who made the big three-pointer? And she, yeah, the I game. was going to say, and she she hit the big three-pointer that kind of... That, that is a tough shot to make. They threw the ball out to her. She's all by herself Yeah, and gets the chance to set and look at the rim, and you see people miss that shot all the time. And,
2: and the crazy thing is,
0: a year ago, she I don't think she would have made that shot. She's yeah. really improved on her three-point shooting. So...
2: It was a really good win. Tech lost, you know, a couple of days prior to Clemson on the road. That uh, was a really bad loss. That, that was a really bad loss. And, and you know, Kenny Brooks after the game was kind of like, "We just weren't ourselves." And and they bounced back from it. They learned
0: from it. They started the new year off right with the win. I think this uh, North Carolina uh, series is is turning out to be a really good rivalry. Um, you know, the, the game in the ACC tournament last year was really good. The game in Chapel Hill before that was not good. They, they blew tech out by like 25 points, but it's um, somebody linked to an inside Carolina discussion, message board discussion. And, and uh, um, you know, fans are the same everywhere. Somebody on the Carolina board asks, so who's going to go off today? You know, kind of like we talk about Boston College men's basketball. And one of the first answers was, I think Georgia Amor's going to have like a, a huge day. She hadn't made more than three three three-pointers all year. Watch her go six of eight or something like that. And she didn't go six of eight. She went six of 14. But she did make twice as many three-pointers in a game as she had made all year. So... If you're a Carolina basketball fan, women's basketball fan, you got to not want, wanting to be BC, seeing BC Georgia anymore.
1: I was going to ask you to shed light on that message board post because when you posted it on Twitter, I mean, that was insane when they guessed pretty much almost her exact average from the three-point line. That's funny how you say that fans are the same everywhere because yeah. it really does seem like it. Let's talk about where they found their success and a lot of it came from the clutch three-point shooting combined from Amore and Kayla King as well. Had to step up there when UNC was really able to limit Elizabeth Kelly below her average, like you said.
2: Yeah, I think tech just you know this is a, a really good three-point shooting team we all know that and um you know there haven't been many games where Tech had to rely on the three-point shooting um i think there have been a, a, some games where a, a player like kayana trailers is on and she's having her night and she can get to the rim and tech gets downhill and gets opportunities but Taylor soul dealt with foul trouble and elizabeth kitley wasn't really herself she scored you know the occasional basket, and I think she finished with 13, which is still pretty good. But considering she averages about 20 and 10, you know 13 and six or seven is a little bit below her average. But you know, with both of Kitley and Soul kind of not really having their night, you know Tech kind of needed other people to step up. And um, you know Kayla King hit some big threes. Georgia Amore hit some big threes. Deasia Gregg hit that clutch one at the end. Uh, Tech kind of. Got big minutes from Taylor Guyman off the bench. He only played about 10-15, I think. But, um, you know, but all over, Virginia Tech kind of got what it needed. Um, Tech had 20 turnovers. That tied a Ooh. season high. 20 turnovers. Uh, you know, some of them were travels. Some of them were just bad passes. A lot of them were travels. The, the refs were travel happy. But when you can come away with the win, when you turn the ball over twenty times, that kind of says a lot of just about your defense and and what you were able to do in that game. And you know, when you can hit three pointers like Tech did, that you know,
0: I think eleven or twelve three pointers that that really carried them to win. Um, both teams had lost their most recent game coming into this, right? So this is the game. And Carolina had lost two straight. Right. And Tech was one and two in the ACC, correct? Yeah, and Tech had lost two of its last three. So this is a game that neither team wanted to lose. You know, unfortunately, Virginia Tech came out with the W.
1: Up next for Kenny Brooks' squad is a huge game against UVA on Thursday in Cal. The once-undefeated Cavaliers now 13-1, and one, their one loss coming to Duke. Nice opportunity to stack some impressive wins and defend your home court if they can get it done.
2: Yes, and this is this is one of the biggest Tech UVA games in a long time. And, of I mean,
1: course, it's overbreak when students aren't <laughs> here. Which
2: is one. disappointing. Yeah, yeah, if you want to go on that tangent, the, the men – like the fact that the men have Clemson and NC state over break is wonderful, yes. but the women kind of got hosed with having North Carolina and Virginia and Notre Dame and Notre Dame over break. Yep. But this is going to be a big time game. It's on Thursday night. Um, you know, UVA has a new head coach. Um, I, I'm not going to, I forget her name off the top of my head, but she came from Missouri state she's really, really talented. And this UVA team is good. They got some big time transfers. Sam Brunell came from Notre Dame to UVA. Um this is a UVA team, like a program that, you know, during COVID, they essentially canceled their season because they just weren't that good to begin with. Um and then they won like 4 games last year under Tina Thompson. Tina Thompson gets fired. They hire this new coach and they're 13 and 1. So this
0: is the first year with the new coach. Yes. Wow.
2: Very so- very very impressive. And, and Honestly, it's good. I think to have UVA be good, Virginia. The fact that Virginia and Virginia Tech are two of the best men's and women's basketball teams in the ACC, like that is that that's impressive. And it kind of just goes to show the job that you know those four coaches, Kenny Brooks, Tony Bennett, Mike Young, um, and the name I'm forgetting, uh, just the job they've done. And that's an amazing turnaround for UVA. Whether or not. You know, the Cavaliers can sustain it. Obviously, it's January 4th, but right now they're looking really, really good, and they haven't been tested as much as Virginia Tech has. You know, they didn't have a a, a game at Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri kind of thing, Um, but they've they've played some tough games. The one loss came to Duke. I'm really intrigued to see what
0: this matchup is because the Tech-UVA games always come down to the wire so this, you know, UVA used to be a measuring stick for Tech because um, I don't have my UVA, <laughs> clearly I don't have my UVA women's basketball history down to a T. But I remember, I think it was back in the 80s slash 90s, probably the 90s, where they went to a couple of Final Fours. I don't think they ever won a national championship, but they were a very good program under Debbie Ryan. Yeah. And going back to the 98-99 season when Tech was really good and went to the Sweet 16 Um, You always remember moments where a season kind of takes off, and it kind of took off for Tech that year. I remember going to see Tech play UVA in Castle, and I think that was, gosh, I think that was the first time I'd been to see that particular women's team, Tech women's team, in person. And they, they beat UVA, if I remember correctly, pretty handily by like 10 to 15 points and looked really good doing it. So UVA used to be yeah a measuring stick for Virginia Tech. That used to be something to shoot for. So, you know, going back 20 years, yeah, this was an important rivalry. And now that they're in the ACC together, of course, they've been together 20 years. Um, Yeah, it's, it's good for both programs to be
2: good. Yeah, I mean, Debbie Ryan was there until the end of the 2010-11 season. Wow. And then... Long time, and then uh, Joanne Boyle. I'm just looking this up. She she took over. She's um, she was the former coach at Cal. Um, but and then Tina Thompson took over, and it kind of just went downhill. I mean, UVA 2021 22, UVA was 5 and 22, 2 and 16 yeah. in the ACC, and, and just never really found the footing. And um, a really, really, really good start, UVA, in that, like, 90 to 95 span, UVA went to, like, four Final Fours and right. was the, okay. the NCAA runner-up in 91. So yeah. used to be a measuring stick. And I, I think it's good the fact that Virginia women's basketball can push Virginia Tech. And for those of you who don't know, on the women's side, they do pods, which is a bit different from the scheduling model the men have. So they do they do pods of five teams each because there're 15 teams Virginia Tech's pod Virginia NC State North Carolina and Duke that's Virginia Tech's pod and all of those teams are in the upper echelon of the ACC so Virginia Tech's playing all of those teams two times each
0: so this is a pretty interesting pod it's basically the North Carolina Virginia pod yeah everybody everybody
2: Forest. in Nor- everybody except for Wake Forest so it that's challenging. I mean, the only other you look at, like, the northern pod is is it's Notre Dame and Syracuse and uh, Pitt and Boston College and Louisville, I believe, and then it's kind of Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Miami, and Florida State. Like, Florida State and Miami are pretty good, um, but – like N- Notre Dame or Louisville, Louisville are pretty good but that pod is stacked and yeah. like and that's one of the reasons why you know Virginia Tech has tested so much throughout the season. I mean those are just, that's essentially like that's essentially eight quadrant one games
0: in a year. So you just described to me a Big East pod, a uh, Virginia North Carolina pod and an SEC pod and then like a, I don't know <laughs> join the league late pod with the exception of Wake Forest. Yeah.
1: Well, I wish that was our pod for football going into next season, which brings me to the football season discussion as the season comes to an end, one final game on Monday between Georgia and TCU, but a lot of exciting games to get into that point, which leads me into a question. will wanted me to ask you all, be- but before we get to that, what bowl games did you watch and what were some of your favorites?
2: i tell you what the last, the, the bowl games the last couple of days. So I'm not, I, I tell like a lot of the smaller bowls, I'm kind of just like, I'll have it on the background. Yeah, they're not particularly, great. but like once, once, New Year's Eve comes around. the The bowl games are on, and semifinal was incredible.
3: That's yep. the one game I watched was with you.
1: When yeah,
2: we watched the Bo- both State of the game. semifinal games were were really really good, um, and then the bowl games on uh, on sun- uh, Sunday. Who played
1: The Gator Bowl? The Notre Dame South Carolina game was also. That was awesome. pretty good.
2: That yeah. game was good. Um, so
3: didn't the South Carolina fans fly over a banner? Above the Clemson, Tennessee, game. Above the, Stadium, yeah, above Hard Rock Stadium. Yeah, enjoy your bowl game. Yeah, like on South Beach, <laughs> which is very nice to do, but you need to
2: win your own bowl game <laughs> well, do, yeah. if you're oh, going to talk trash. I thought it was but,
3: hilarious. Yeah. It, was, it was funny, but
1: also December. Oh, or the
2: Tulane USC game. That's yeah. what it yes. was. was the, ro- uh, yeah. the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, and then the Rose Bowl was was. It wasn't, as good. wasn't, it as, wasn't good. as good, but
1: December 28th was an awesome day of football, which had the Liberty bowl. And then it went into the holiday bowl with North Carolina and Oregon. That was an awesome game. And the Liberty bowl was Arkansas and Kansas, which was an overtime and went down to the wire. And it was just a great day of football. And, I loved it. Oh,
2: I watched the, uh, the sun bowl, the pit, 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 UCLA, Pitt beating and, UCLA, and and Pitt, was a huge one for them. Pit came down to the wall. Uh, came down to the wire and yeah. pit basically drove like 30 yards in the final, like, 30 seconds and kicked a game-winning field goal um yeah there was pretty good bowl games
1: the ACC went five and four this year in bowl games it's better than it's been in the past usually your typical SEC dominance ACC doesn't fare well against them Duke had a huge win Florida State had a huge win NC State had a really embarrassing loss I guess they'll join us in the lose to Maryland in a bowl (laughs) game category
0: yikes
1: (laughs) okay so then this raises the question do bowl games actually matter? And I want an opinion from all of you and I'll probably play devil's advocate since I know what you're going to say. I
3: think it depends on the
0: bowl yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I
3: am. Yeah. Okay. Totally depends on the bowl game.
0: Uh,
1: the Tony, the tiger Sun bowl does not matter. In my opinion, the quick lane bowl in Detroit does not matter. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, any, I, any I, bowl I,
0: game played in a baseball stadium. I, matter. I
1: mean, I, yeah. don't,
2: I, I think a lot of those, bowl, a lot of the bowl games before like December 29th, just like there are teams that, that, that were like f- maybe a couple wins above 500, and like oh, it, that's that's it's good for them, but they're basically just closing out their season with the bowl game. Like they had a, a, a semi successful season and or a success oh, successful season, but like the pinstripe bowl doesn't matter, right? In, you know, in any any situation
3: where the rules allow players and coaches to leave voluntarily. Before their final game of the season, yeah. then that last game doesn't matter. So you see offensive coordinators changing. You see you see head coaches, right? Uh, so Louisville, the, the Louisville Scott versus Cincinnati Bowl. Yeah, like he leaves and goes from one school to the other, and then they play each other in a bowl game,
0: on the same sideline. Both teams on the same right, sideline right. because it's a baseball right. stadium.
3: Right, and and you, and you've got coordinators leaving. Um, you've got players leaving. I remember last year Pitt being in in. A, well, they they won the ACC. Were they in the Chick fil A Bowl? Or?
1: Yep, they were in the okay. Peach Bowl against yep. Michigan State.
3: So, so not only did their quarterback Kenny Pickett opt out, their offensive coordinator left. Yeah, that's one of the big six bowl games, and no. their coaches are leaving. Like, so how can I take it seriously as a fan when the coaches don't even take it seriously?
0: Yeah, and, and you and I have talked about this a lot recently about how the the timing of everything has changed and and the portal opening up and the, and the early signing day have shifted some, arguably, uh, what should be attention from the Bulls towards actual roster management. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoyed the Bull games more this year than I have in a long time.
3: Maybe because Virginia Tech was you, you can enjoy them and still say they don't matter. That's the thing. Uh, that's true, and the because, question because, was, yeah. but, do they matter? Th- there's, they're so unpredictable. You don't know what players are playing. You don't know which players are taking them seriously. Some coaches stay, some coaches leave, so it's all a, kind of a mess. So you don't know what's going to happen, yeah. which makes them some, which makes it unpredictable. And in, in a lot of situations, maybe more fun.
2: Yeah.
3: But you could admit all that and also say, yeah, they don't matter. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, I think as a casual fan, what I need to see is I need to see some fans in the stands. The, yeah. these, these bowl games that have five thousand people at them, I'm just bored.
1: When it's not bringing when, substantial when, revenue to the city that it's in, when and it's in a cold right. environment, it's an empty stadium. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I, like I, the Idaho Bowl. Man, I mean, come on, you know that that needs to go. The blue turf and not many people there, and it's always in the 30s or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean that
2: plan. A, a, a bowl. I mean, I was at Yankee Stadium last year when Virginia Tech played it's an open air press box in December. <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to be
0: there. Cause it's a baseball stadium. Yeah, it can yeah. be an open air press and, box. And
2: so I don't know. I, I will say like watching the cotton bowl, like dude, two lane was fun to watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's some, some game, like a lot of the bowl games after, you know, on new year's Eve or, or on new year's, like the big ones, the Rose bowl, the cotton bowl, like those games matter. But does anybody care about the rocket mortgage, whatever bowl? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's tough because like, I think, I think to some of the smaller teams, like, I don't know if I think both, I think USC cared about, about the cotton bowl, but I think Tulane probably cared more because Tulane, you know, is trying to finish off the season after winning two games the previous year. But like for a lot of teams, you know, it, you didn't reach your end goal, and yeah. and it, I don't know. It, that's kind of where I stand. I think I don't. I don't think the majority of them matter.
0: Uh, one thing I learned, or went through my mind talking about bowl games, and um, okay. yeah, I think I'm talking about the playoff, not bowl games in particular. But Michigan had one of the better defenses in the country, and got lit up. Yeah. For 46 points, I think. Georgia had one of the better defenses in the country, and gave up over 40, if I remember correctly. So it kind of makes you – yes, I know we trust Virginia Tech's defense more than we trust their offense right now, but I came away thinking, man, they really got to fix that offense because this is college football.
3: Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I, I think with regards to bowl games, uh, and I don't know if the numbers back this up, but I know those playoff teams, all of them are extremely well-coached teams. Yeah. And I think if you give an extremely well-coached offense –
1: Basically, a weeks. month to prepare.
3: Right. Uh, I, I think that's more beneficial to the offense than it was That's defense. true. That's a good point.
1: I think it's certainly mattering less and less. You bring up the playoff in 2024. It expands to 12 teams. Everyone wants to be in the 12-team playoff. You're not necessarily looking to be in the Bulls below that, but... I also think it's a good point that you brought up that you can enjoy the games, but they don't necessarily matter. I mean, I love something I'm very passionate about. I love being a college student at home for winter break and you can pretty much turn on a college football game at any point in time. And you may be watching the Duracell battery bowl between two group of five teams, but it's college football <laughs> and it's the greatest sport on earth. So you got all dressed up, fun. didn't you?
0: Like, on, did you put a picture uh, yeah. on Instagram? <laughs> you were all dressed up and started talking about watching bowl My ideal days.
1: New Year's Eve is sitting with on the couch with my family and watching football and dressing up. So that's what I did. You're right. <laughs> um, yes, it was awesome. I also like seeing how conferences stack up. So there's SEC bias every single year. And I like seeing how SEC ranks against the ACC and the Big Ten and stuff like that. It's-
0: See, I don't buy into that anymore because of all the opt-outs and coaches moving around and stuff like that. Well, the thing I about think the- it's funny that ESPN still tracks that. I,
3: I, yeah. I, I, I will say, didn't like, I'll give you the, the best example. Didn't NC State's offensive coordinator leave? Don't know yes yes carter uh, says yes and then and then he lost uh they lost their bowl game Devin, with their fourth string quarterback okay. right by the they way they didn't play but Devin but because he transferred how as an nc state player can you really take that game seriously when your coach leaves that just tells you well if the coach isn't finishing out the season this game we're playing doesn't even matter and
0: your qb's in the transfer portal. right and all that. right yeah. exactly and that, and that was like Tech's bowl game last so year. The, uh, the team got decimated. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna say,
2: Virginia Tech played in the bowl game this year, and the eight to ten guys that transferred out, DJ Harvey, Caleb Smith. Does Tech bowl game matter if Tech's leading receiver doesn't play? You know what I mean? Like if the guys who were there the whole
1: season. I mean, it gives you a chance to see the team for next year and who's going to step up in the absence of those players. I think it matters. I like that part. I think it
2: It matters to, like, it would matter to us, obviously, because one, it's our jobs, but two, like, you know, like we are very attached to Virginia Tech. But does somebody on the California coast really care about what Virginia Tech is doing in the bowl Mm -hmm. game? I think, I don't know. I I think it kind of depends on the game.
1: I will, say, I, I will say I was pleased with the initiatives to hammer recruiting during the time that we weren't preparing for the bowl game. But to kind of counteract that, two teams that were preparing for a bowl game, Florida State and North Carolina, both have recruiting classes in the top 10 for Transfer Portal. So they were able to do both.
3: You can do both. Uh, I, I think I do think it takes, depending on when, when your bowl game is, like especially if your bowl game is like in that window within a week of signing day. yeah, it, it, It's really hard to completely prepare X's and O's wise for the bowl game while also uh, finishing off your recruiting class, doing portal recruiting, which is another reason I say like why you can't take the bowl games too seriously because you might not be, you're not as 100% focused from an X's and O standpoint as you are for a regular season game. I mean, there's just
0: not enough time in the day. So so one of the ironies is that uh, programs started staffing up their recruiting staffs to gain an advantage, and now it's almost a necessity with the early signing period. You yeah. have to, if you're the coaches, now granted they have to travel a lot there at the end to try to close, and Virginia Tech could do that because they weren't preparing for a bowl game. Mm-hmm. But if you are the coaching staff, you need that support from your recruiting staff who these days it's it's player personnel, it's not recruiting. You you need an army of guys who are staying on top of your current roster, the portal, and recruiting to support you because otherwise it would just be impossible.
1: Florida State able to win the cheez bowl and still have the number one class for the transfer portal. They've taken eight people right now, same with North Carolina. We have four, so I'm curious to see how those numbers change um, yeah. moving forward. What's coming up on Tech sideline this week? Clemson recap. Lots I guess
2: lots of sports, like <laughs> lots of stuff. Like like this is a, I mean this is gonna Games. be this is a busy week for us. You were you were joking earlier that there's barely been anybody on the on the message boards all week. Yeah. We've been working, even if anybody nobody <laughs> else has. I didn't we, want to work today, but I did. We got men's basketball today against Clemson. Women's basketball, obviously, tomorrow on Thursday against Virginia. Wrestling. You're going Friday to that night, Friday yeah. night, uh, the match at Moss art center against By Cornell. The way, let
0: me jump in here and say that when you saw Virginia tech wrestling announced the sellout yesterday, it's cause will, that was me. I went in and it was funny. I was talking to my brother. He's a UVA guy and he wrestled in high school and he likes wrestling. So I was like, you want to go to this thing? And he goes, uh, sure. So we're on the phone together and I pull up the tickets. And there are three tickets left, and that's it. And I tried to buy two of them, and it wouldn't let me because you're not allowed to to leave a seat by itself. Right? So, so I wound up buying all three. And then, like five minutes later, Virginia Tech wrestling is like, "Woo, we're sold out!" And I'm like, wow. "You're welcome." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wrestling on Friday, Jack Bris and I will be covering that
2: for us. I'm really excited. Um, for that i mean just it's it's one of the coolest things in wrestling and, and it's and, number eight
0: versus number 12 yeah it's a it's a i mean they've wrestled duke there before which is you know
2: but it this is a prime prime yeah. matchup yeah. men basketball back I'll, I'll have a preview of that uh, after, you know men's basketball plays nc state on, on saturday uh and then the women are in coral gables on sunday against Miami. So. Lots of lots of stuff going on. We we'll, we will keep you busy. I'm sure, Chris. Chris, what do you have coming up?
3: On? Uh, my Q, Friday Q and A usual, and also, I did an in state recruiting article yesterday about some trends, offense versus defense. And tomorrow I'll do like a Fontel Mines article and yeah. his impact cool. on in state recruiting. So for me, it's kind of like in state recruiting week. Nice.
1: Well, another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager for Tech Sideline. Where's my camera? (laughs) (laughs) He's at Will Stewart, TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He's at Chris Coleman, TSL on Twitter. David Cunningham, managing editor. He's at The Real D. Cunna. Carter Hill Producing. Thank you, Carter. And I'm your host, Katie Adams, signing off on episode 279 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans. We'll see you next time. (laughs) you. <laughs>